Okay. So yesterday we learned two explanations of the Pasuk the Mimer is based on. Pasuk says, if a spirit of rulership comes upon you, do not leave your place, because if you do, you will leave, there will be great sins. So we learned the explanation of Targum Yenison. Targum Yenison says that if you feel Yitzhahara is ruling over you, you feel that Yitzhahara is getting the best of you. So the advice of Hashem to you is, don't leave your place, don't let go of your Torah study. Because if you do, big mistakes can happen, but if you don't, if you learn Torah, then you will leave great sins. The great sins will be, Hashem will uh, not hold you responsible for your debts to Him, and will, so to speak, forget your great sins. That's the first explanation. Second explanation is, the spirit of rulership is referring to leadership. Hashem gives you an opportunity to lead others. So when that happens, Hashem tells you, do not leave your place. Do not leave your humility. And as we learned yesterday, because uh, Zechariah ben Yayada rebuked the people and he spoke down to them, it didn't work. Not only did it not work, but he himself was stoned. On the other hand, Yechaziel ben Yechazechariah, because of his humility, his words were heard. He made himself like the people. He was considered himself one with the people. And that's why they respected and they heard what he, what he said. That, so the Pasuk is saying, if a spirit of leadership enters you, God gives you a spirit of leadership, God gives you this opportunity to lead, don't lose your humility, because if you do, if you, um, if you don't leave your humility, if you keep your humility, then you, will, you won't be responsible for great sins. So the Rebbe asked, what's the meaning of... Afrikabah asks, what's the meaning of this person who is the leader of the Jewish people being guilty of great sins? We're talking about a tzaddik, we're talking about someone who is well-versed in Torah, and because he is not humble, he's guilty of great sins. How does this suddenly happen? It sounds like it's a sudden thing. I mean, I don't think the Rebbe is saying, we'll see later, I don't think the Rebbe is saying that how could it be that lack of humility can cause a person to make mistakes? That the Gemara says in Seita clearly that uh, the Gemara says that when a person loses humility, they can go all the way down. But it sounds like the very fact that you are not humble that already is makes you culpable of sin. So the question is, what does that mean? So, so we learned that the word marpe means weakness, and the pasuk is telling you that if you will be humble. You won't be, if you have, you have humility, if you have a weak uh, uh, relationship to the people in the sense that you're not um, dominating them, then you won't be considered, if you're humble in your relationship with the people, and you don't consider yourself greater to them, then you won't be guilty of their sins. So it's not talking about you making mistakes, rather it's talking about the sins of the people. And it's saying, if you are humble then you won't be considered guilty for their sins. That's what the word marpe means. Marpe means weaker. If you'll be weak, if you'll be humble, then you won't be considered culpable for their sins. Why? What does that mean? Let's go, uh, let's continue on. Uh, please don't remind me to find the PDF 
for you, and I will post it in Ritz Hashem. Uh, those who are not listening uh, via, uh, uh, what's it called, via, via the podcast, the podcast has my number on it, but if you go to Base Sal, you can find my number over there. Either way, you can text me, and I will add you to the chat, and you will get the PDF. Let's go. Yeah, question. So, I might be getting ahead of myself, but isn't there, isn't there a, like, don't we learn that Sadiqim of the generation, Dafka, like, they're responsible for everything. Right. And every we said like he says, why does the Arizal say Tahmun? It's Tahmun on, on behalf of the yeah. sin of the generation. So he he is guilty of the sin of the generation. Yeah. So we're saying that that, that there are certain sins that he, they're not guilty of because of their humility, as we'll see. Okay. You are right, in general such a thing. Um let's go. Let's start from the line that starts with the words uh Al Darach. Uh starts with the word Tayra. Valderech shemetzinu the meishalin enash. You see, line starts with the word teira. End the line. Valderech shemetzinu the meishalin enash. Chayte egel tezav meishir abenu. The meishir abenu was not punished for the sin of the golden calf. Luchur hari godla der veichunit v'lein desmer vander. Question is, he is considered the great one of that generation, and the rule is that the great person of the generation, as you just said, is considered responsible for the sins of the generation. So how come Meish Rabbeinu is not considered guilty of the sin of the golden calf? Elish and Enash, rather you must say that he was punished. As Hashem told Meish Rabbeinu, go down from the mountain, and the Talmud explains, don't just go down from the mountain, go down from your greatness. The only reason I gave you greatness, Hashem says, was for the sake of the Jewish people. What was the greatness that Hashem gave Meish Rabbeinu? These are the thousand lights that God gave to Mesh as a present, and those lights were taken away from him. There was a chastad beside the Libra of Olav Shalom. He used to say that when you open the Aaron, we say to Hashem, Give us your good light. He used to say, As if we know the difference between the good light and the lesser good light. We don't know what it means when it says a thousand lights to Mesh Rabbeinu received, but obviously the number of thousand indicates that this was a tremendous revelation of godliness. So Moshe Rabbeinu, before the sin of the golden calf, he had these thousand lights. Hashem gave them as a present, but Hashem took them away from him after the sin of the golden calf. Only on Shabbos does Moshe Rabbeinu again receive those thousand lights. And this is what we mean when we say in Shabbos davening, Moshe should rejoice in the, in, his, in the gift of his portion. What's his gift? His gift is a thousand lights that Hashem gives, gives, him, gives him back on Shabbos. So it's true that Meish Rabbeinu lost something through the sin of the golden calf, but that's not called a punishment. But he wasn't punished for the sin of the golden calf. And the question is, why not? If the rule is that the great one of the generation is considered responsible for the sins of the, sins of the generation, how come he wasn't punished? So, the fact that he lost these lights is not considered a punishment. It's something that he lost. Hashem gave him the greatness of the sake of the Jewish people, and they weren't... It's like we learned last week about Yaakov Avinu, that Yaakov Avinu, when he wanted to give the, his children the message of uh, the revelation of the coming of Mashiach, and when they weren't ready, so that affected him too. When he, Their spiritual status affected him. But it wasn't that a, a punishment per se. Yaakov wants to give them something, and they are unable to receive it, so that hurts Yaakov. Meish is connected to the Jewish people. When they descend, 
he descends as well, but it's not a punishment. How come he wasn't punished? Well, that's the rule. The great tzaddik of the generation is responsible. You might want to answer, he wasn't even in the world when the sin of the golden calf happened. He wasn't having the Ashi. As the Torah says, a Moshe Rabbeinu delayed in coming. And the word Boishesh, which, which, which also means the sixth hour, they expected Moshe Rabbeinu to come in the sixth hour. He didn't come in the sixth hour. And that's why they um, did the sin of the uh, golden calf. And since he was in heaven during the sin, Boishesh means the sixth hour, or is it the sixth day of Sivan? No, sixth day of, no, Boishesh is the sixth hour. Since he was, it was the 17th day of Tammuz. He went up on the on six or seven. Yeah, so the sixth hour of the day, the day he time he left, they expect him to come. They miscalculated because they thought they should count the day he left as they as um, as day one. And since he was in heaven during the sin, there, so therefore he can't consider him responsible. He wasn't, so to speak, even alive at the time. He was in heaven. In Cain, if that's your answer, Yeshua. They were alive. They were in the. Uh, they were here. How come they weren't considered responsible for the sin of the generation? Meishar Okay, you answered. Meishar We could say he wasn't considered responsible because he wasn't around. But Arn Yeshua were. So the answer is really it wasn't just that Meishar wasn't here. There's another factor, and that is that Meishar Rabbeinu was absolutely humble. Meshach Rabbeinu was considered the most humble person alive. And also Aaron was humble. Aaron was humble too. But Meshach Rabbeinu had an extraordinary level of humility to the extent that Torah says that Meshach was the most humble person upon the face of the earth. There ever once said that the Torah emphasizes he was the most humble person from every man. You could have just said he was the most humble, very humble. Why does it emphasize he was humble from more than every man? So I've explained, if you look at the words carefully, he was humble from every man. Some people think that humility means to be humble before God. I'm humble in the face of God. Being humble in front of the face of God is not so easy, not so difficult because God's greater than you. Real humility means when you see the virtue in other people. That's the emissary taich He was humble in the face of every person. He saw their virtue. That's the taich. He was humble. He was humble from every person. He saw every person had a virtue and how it was greater than him in some way. So Moshe had an extraordinary attribute. He was humble, more humble than anyone else. Iron was not as humble as him. Next page. However, Iron too was also humble. He wasn't as humble as Meishar Rabbeinu, but he was very humble. But Iron did possess some level of bittel, which of course of Iron Mahu. As Meishar Rabbeinu said, when the people were complaining about Iron, Meishar said, "Why are you, are you complaining about Iron? What is Iron?" So Chassidus explains that Meishar wasn't just saying, "What is Iron?" Rather, he was saying the iron that he goes to He was saying the iron, his spiritual level is a level of what? What is the uh, the word chachma? Wisdom is made up of two parts: koyach the power of what, and iron embodied 
the power of Chachma. Why does the word what uh, indicate the level of Chachma? Because when things are, when you first discover the answer for something, things are in a still of a nebulous state. You can't really, def- it's not really defined yet. All you could say is, there's something you don't know exactly what it is. So when we're talking about the emergence of creation and the very first level of godliness, the world of Atzilus, which is the level of Chachma, things are so nebulous there that all there is is, in the words of the Maggid, it told al Rebbe, all there is in the level of Chachma is, is a revelation how there's nothing besides Hashem. So Aaron, he is a uh, embodiment of the sphere of Chachma. He is embodiment of, of Ma. And Aaron had the same level of bit like Mesha. As it says in the Torah, Mesha told the people, What are we? We are what? So it's interesting. They were different in their level of humility, but they were the same in their level of bit. There's a making distinction here between humility and bit. Um, perhaps, like we said before, humility is about the way you look at other people, your, the narrative you have for other people. That's, 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 that's another. How you view other people, that's, that's humility. Bittel is a whole different kind of thing. Bittel is about the Abishter shining into you and you feeling, like, you feeling the truth of Hashem in a way that, that you... Someone uh, asked the following question. It says that Mashiach was asked by the Baal Shem Tev, when are you coming? What did Mashiach tell the Baal Shem Tev? He told the Baal Shem Tev, I'm coming when your wall springs will be spread to the outside. So somebody asked, why did the Baal Shem Tev ask this question of Mashiach? It says in Gemara, Mashiach is being delayed until this rectification for the sin that brought about the destruction of the second base of Middash. Why was it destroyed? It was destroyed because of senseless hatred. So how is Mashiach giving a different answer than, uh, than the Gemara? So I don't remember who the answer came from, but the answer I heard was that Mashiach was telling about Shem Tev the inner meaning of the words of the Gemara. In order for you to really love people in a way that's real, you have to have real bittel. You really have to put yourself aside. And to put yourself aside, that you get by learning the teachings of Baal Shem Tev. By immersing yourself in the wellsprings of, the, of, of Chassidus and Baal Shem Tev, then you're able, because naturally, you're a, everyone's a something. Like some people complain, a guy comes into shul and he gets an aliyah. A guest comes to shul and gets an aliyah. And Yankel says, Rabbi, how can you give Yankel an aliyah? Now, Yank, the guy who's complaining isn't expecting aliyah himself. He's not, not expecting aliyah. But he's bothered, why did he get an aliyah? Why is he bothered that another guy got an aliyah? You know why he's bothered? Because he's a somebody. And the fact there's another somebody, that already bothers him. Because... Because Hashem created us all to be a somebody. So I take up space. The fact that someone else takes up space, that encroaches on my space. That's the transcendental hatred. When you look at this, hopefully gives you this, this idea of bittel. So bittel is already something godly. It's not just a narrative in your mind of how you look at people. Bittel, I mean, before I was saying that being humble before God is easier than being humble before man. That's in the narrative. In the narrative, it's easier. But the second point we're making over here is that not only did Aaron have an, a level of humility, albeit not as great as Moshe Rabbeinu, he also had a revelation of Hashem in him. He had something of this truth that nothing besides Hashem. He had something of that in him. Um, 
You hear what I'm grappling with over here, Daniel? I, I want to say that being humble is a greater level than being humble before God. Being humble from people. You get that. Yeah. But then the Rebbe says that Aaron had something else. He had, he had the same bitl as Meish So I think the union of bitl is, in the context of humility, okay, so it's greater virtue to be humble before man. But bitl is not the same thing as humility. Bitl means that there is that that that, that no sense of self. No, it's not a sense of self, right? So so um, so Aaron didn't have a sense of self. Aaron has had the truth of Hashem. That's all that 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 mattered to him. That's all he felt. Think about Chacham Atzilus. Chacham Atzilus is a revelation. All there is is Hashem. So Aaron felt that. Aaron felt this truth. All there is is Hashem. There is a clip called Ruuma. You heard of Ruuma? Uma is uh, the name of one of the uh, wives of Yishmol, of Esav. Chassidah says, Ruma means, Ruma, look how bottle I am. Look how I'm, I'm bottle, but look how bottle I am. Right. It's possible to have ma, to have bittle, but your narrative in your mind is, yeah, I'm bottle, I feel Hashem's truth. Look at that, look, at, look how bottle I am. Humility is not the same thing as 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 feeling that it could feel Hashem's truth, and then your narrative could be lousy. Also, I don't know. It's 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 it's. it's uh, I'm not really sure what this means, but uh, it seems very clear that there's the Rebbe is making a distinction between Aaron's bittel and Aaron's humility, and saying he was the same bittel as Meisha, and yet not not the same level of humility. This is what the Gemara means when it says. Sometimes it puts iron before Moshe, says the Gemara. Sometimes the Torah puts Moshe before iron. Why? Because they were at the same level. And the Shneim Dergis Ma, they both were at the level of Ma, they both were at the level of, of absolute abnegation before Hashem. And therefore, even iron, although he was considered the great one of the generation, and although he was alive during the time of the Sultan Sim, the Golden Calf, nevertheless, he is not considered responsible for the sin of the generation. Why? Because of his bittel. Yeshua also had absolute bittel. Yeshua, that when Moshe Rabbeinu uh, uh, went up to heaven and then he descended and the sin of the golden calf happened and he, he, he put his tent at a distance from the people. So it says Yeshua never left the tent. The Pirush Nar made al bittel. It says Yeshua was a lad. Who never left the tent. The Torah uses the word lad describing Yeshua. Why? Because not because he was young or not because he was foolish, but because he was like a lad in the sense of devotion to Mesha, like a little kid. The The essence of Yeshua was that he was a servant of Mesha. He was absolutely nullified to Mesha to the extent that he never left the tent. He always was receiving from Mesha, and he was not teaching, he wasn't giving anyone else, he was just listening to Mesha. My father once told me about Rabbi Groner, all of a sudden. Rabbi Groner is a, uh, is, is he's always so devoted to Rabbi, he is a genius. So that's my father, why is he saying he's a genius? He is, that, that, you're describing Bittal, Bittal not genius. He says he's a genius in Bittal. To be able to always, he's always by their side and, and still to, to, to realize who he's working for, despite the fact that he's there all the time, that takes, uh, takes a lot of wisdom. Anyways, so the essence of, of, um, of Yeshua is 
that he's always a recipient of Meisha Rabbeinu, and there's nothing of himself. As the Gemara says, the Gemara is talking about the laws of kosher, and the Gemara says that when you salt meat, so the purpose of salting the meat is to cause the blood to come out of the meat so that the meat is kosher and none of the non-kosher blood is in the meat anymore. So Gemara asks, one second, there's salt on the meat. The salt is going to is going to repel the blood back into the meat. Skumar answers, I since the salt is busy absorbing the blood, it's not going to exude any of the blood. Like a student who's sitting in front of his teacher, that the whole essence of the student in front of the teacher is to receive from the teacher. Even after Mesha passes away, the whole essence of Yeshua is that he is a servant of Mesha. How do we see that even after Mesha's passing, Yeshua is still, still considered a servant of Mesha? Because that's in the Torah clearly. After Mesha passes, passes away, God speaks to Yeshua. The Torah describes Yeshua as the servant of Mesha. Even after God chose him to lead the Jewish people, he still was the servant of Mesha. He was absolutely nullified to Mesha. It says in a Pasuk, I found one man out of a thousand, but one woman in all of these people I have not found. What is this Pasuk referring to? A man out of a thousand, one unique man, is referring to Mesha Rabbeinu. A woman, which means the the idea of woman over here refers to the power of receiving. So Yeshua, who was a total, totally devoted student of Meish Rabbeinu, or Chassid of Meish Rabbeinu, you're not thinking of himself, and only his whole essence was to receive from Meish, there is no one like him. He's unique. And B'chola Elef, within the entire thousand, there is no one like Yeshua. And therefore, Yeshua too, although he was considered also one of the great people of that generation. And he was alive during the sin. But he's not considered responsible for the sin of the generation because of his bittel. And that's the meaning of the Pasuk. Because he is marpe, because he is weak, he is not considered responsible for the sins. What does that mean he's weak? The fact that the leader of the generation weakens himself in the sense that he's not, he's not um, rising above the community and dominating them. And he has humility. Because of this, he is not considered responsible for their sins. So that's why Moshe, Yeshua, and Aaron are not considered responsible for the sin of the golden calf because of their humility, because they are not, uh, uh, they're not givaltikin, um, they're not uh, dominating the community, and rather they have, they have this sense of weakness, this sense of humility. Another reason why Yehoshua was not considered responsible for the sin, he wasn't at all, Present in the Jewish camp, where was he? He was in Meisha's tent. 
Besides the fact that he was humble, another reason why he wasn't considered responsible because besides that he wasn't on earth, besides the fact that Yeshua was not considered responsible because of his humility, another reason why he's not considered responsible because he wasn't around. That's the meaning of the Pasuk. That if you will be weak, you will leave great sins aside. That means, by the great one of the generation, not uh, raising himself up above everyone and ruling every, over everyone. Through this, he's not considered, um, he's not considered uh, responsible. Now, Yonatan Hamburger's question is, one second, if he is... Uh, lowering himself when he's able to be a, in a position of influence, so that um, that should make him for sure responsible for the sin of generation. How come, because he's humble, do we say that he is not responsible? He's humble, and therefore he didn't raise himself above them, and therefore he's not considered his fault. On the contrary, let him raise himself above them, let him tell them what to do. No? The question resonates? As Takasha? Okay. Good question. Let's think about it. Let's come back to it tomorrow. But in short, what we did today is the reason why they're not considered responsible is because they have this humility, and because they're humility, they're not considered responsible. The question is, why does humility do that? Why does humility make you not responsible? It sounds like what the author describes in the beginning of Tanya. False humility. The author says in Tanya, if you're able to tell someone something, you don't tell them, you get in trouble. So what's, what's the title over here that he's saying? That because they're humility, they're not responsible. To be continued. Many counterintuitive ideas.